Today's episode of the Ed Curation Podcast is sponsored by NextGen News. NextGen is the only nationwide video news source that is created for students and presented by students. Their bi-weekly newscast delivers important current events to students grades 3 through 8 through an engaging and humorous broadcast format. The ready-made curriculum integrates across subject areas and provides teachers the tools to have students develop critical thinking and media literacy skills. Find NextGen, N-E-X-G-E-N, news at edcuration.com and take advantage of a free two-month pilot opportunity. An American is a person who is caring, a person who doesn't really ask for help, an independent person a person looking for better and newer opportunities every day. My parents came to the United States 25 years ago, going back and forth from Mexico to the United States. I was born in Mexico, but raised in America. It doesn't matter where you are from or how you look. You could be an American just as everybody else. Be independent, be the person who you are meant to be. Live your life to the fullest because that is what an American is. That was Tanya, one of the dozens of students who have participated in the Who is American Today? Digital Storytelling Research Project and National Exhibits, created and directed by artist and educator James Reese and artist, professor, and researcher Flavia Bastos. Flavia is originally from Brazil, and from the time she started her career as a first grade teacher, she has infused education with the arts. I was a dancer as well and a visual artist. So that led me to want to learn more and pursue a graduate degree in the United States. Flavia earned a PhD in art education from Indiana University, and she has garnered significant attention and many awards throughout her career. Here are just a few. Dr. Bostos received the Excellence in Research in Education Through Art, International Society for Education Through Art in 2021, the 2009 Ziegfeld Award of the International Society for Education Through Art, and the Mary J. House Award of the National Art Education Association Women's Caucus in 2007. She is past senior editor of the Journal of Art Education and has published and lectured extensively in the United States and abroad, in addition to her research. I have done a number of research projects, mostly focused on the potential of the arts to promote community and engagement. Flavia's research partner, James Reese, started out his teaching career at Brigham Young University and Utah Valley University and Westminster College, but has been teaching for the past 30 years at Provo High School in Utah. He went against the flow with that career path. James is a widely known champion of the arts and a passionate advocate for art education that balances theory, research, and practice. He currently serves as Commissioner-at-Large Representative for the NAEA Research Commission. He has served as Vice President of the National Art Education Association. His list of roles and accolades is long, and you could read his full bio in the episode notes. He, like Flavia, presents regularly, both locally and nationally, at conferences, at museums, through the Beverly Taylor Sorensen Arts Learning Program, and with teens in the Homeless Youth Resource Center. All of this in addition to his own creative work as an artist. Came to teaching much like I do my studio work, driven by curiosity and exploring ideas through media. 
And uh, that includes now digital media with my students and, and just kind of approaching, I think, uh, teaching in a completely different way. Having first uh, taught in a university and then in high school has given me a different perspective and approach. So Cincinnati and Utah, how did the two of you end up teaming up on this project? Well, we were fortunate to serve in the leadership of the Art, National Arts Education Association. We were both members of the, the board of directors, and um, that was sort of a four-year engagement, which allowed us to build community again and develop a friendship between the two of us. I think uh, NAEA is particularly good at getting people uh, in leadership positions uh, to connect. Uh, you're doing meaningful work together. Uh, and uh, you find kindred spirits that are interested in engaging in a higher level of thinking and taking art education in a new way. This project came about, it was 2017 in New York. We were at the NAEA convention and we were just talking about what could we do uh, and what, how we, could we collaborate and work together and what would be a meaningful, timely topic. And, and obviously politics was a very timely topic at that time as it continues to be. You had read about people telling the stories, and I've done some work with the Storytelling Center in uh, Berkeley. And so we kind of talked and discussed, and it kind of collated all these ideas, and it came together as a the, the Who's an American Today project. I had um, had the opportunity to attend an, art, an arts-based research conference in Spain. And as a part of that, I saw a project that was sponsored by the European Union, involving kids, elementary school kids throughout the European Union who are creating art about their experience of being European Union citizens. And um, you, the findings were incredibly interesting and the artwork very telling about the various ways in which these children, depending on their socioeconomic status, which, which city they were living in, what kind of job their parents had, how they positioned themselves in society. So that was sort of the inspiration too, because I, you know, I studied the ideas of the Brazilian educator Paulo Freire, who is really thinks that art, that education and politics are connected. It was the impetus was to really think about how art education could tackle difficult, critical topics uh, that are pertinent to the students' lives. And was that also the inspiration for the seminal question of who is American today? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And I think yeah. additionally to that is the fact that I am a recent, um, recently minted American. So I'm, I'm, you know, an immigrant through and through. I was eight years old when I first moved to the United States. I didn't speak a word of English. I remember being placed in a classroom full of kids that were screaming a bunch of things I couldn't comprehend. That first day of school, I cried all day while the teacher was trying to explain some complicated math problems that she had set in front of me. Soon enough, a lot of my troubles would be gone, though, and I would be speaking English fluently in only a year. I could not have achieved this without the help of all my American friends. Something that was very different about America was how kind and helpful everyone is to each other. One of the very first times that my family went to a grocery store, we were shocked by how kind strangers were to one another. We would often be greeted with a, hi, how are you today? Or can I help you with anything? This wasn't a very common thing back in Europe. So it was really strange to us. My mom also struggled with English when we first moved here. 
and people will often help her translate, understand things, while also ask, asking her where her accent was from. Now, after having lived in the United States for about 10 years, I've come to the conclusion that being an American does not necessarily mean you have to be born in America to be one. There are many values that you have to live up to. That being said, it's about how you treat the people around you with kindness, respect, and compassion, no matter their situation. My own status and what I bring to this country as, as an immigrant, it wouldn't have shown up in the, in the list of possibilities. Uh, and James, too, has an engagement with a very diverse community where he teaches. I, I do. I mean, it's uh, interesting. And throughout the United States, I think we have this kind of preconceived idea of where our um, diversity lies, right, with cities. But my high school has probably 60% Latino population, if not more. And uh, my wife is an immigrant from Venezuela. And so uh, these were very uh, touching topics personally for me and things that I really wanted to not only uh, address some of the things that I know in my day in my life uh, with my family, but also things that I knew were pressing upon my students with Im immigration and other issues and, and how they saw themselves as, as their identities as American, I thought was a very compelling and uh, important topic. And as Flavia said, uh, we're very much about having the arts tackle difficult topics. And I think the classroom, this, the art classroom in particular, has a great uh, capacity to explore these kind of ideas. Hello, my name is Nate. And to be honest, as a black person living in the US, I am constantly reminded of how much of an other I am to society. All starting with the fact that I have to call myself African-American and not just American. Yes, on every form I fill out. As a kid, I really let this affect me, and it made me think I was less American than my counterparts, who just called themselves American. Why couldn't I be like them? But I had to realize we are all equal, regardless of race, religion, or really any other thing for that matter. And that doesn't just go for the America. It goes for the whole world. So my answer to who is American is anyone who lives in America and calls it their home. I asked James and Flavia to describe the nuts and bolts of implementing the Who is American Today project for our listeners to give you a vision of how you might implement this or a similar project with your own students. Digital stories, as you know, are the spine of that is really uh, the students talking in a narrative about something very personal and uh, refining that topic and then adding images and video that helps to support their narrative. And so the project is about a minute to two minutes. We originally thought it would be longer, but it became very apparent the students had were very concise in their expression of their, uh, their ideals and ideas uh, about what that means to be an American. And a lot of them hadn't even really ever thought about that. Sometimes students are never asked these kinds of questions from adults and teachers. What do you think it means to be an American? And really have it open-ended and allowing students to explore and express that in any way they feel is appropriate. And so that's what it is. There are a series of videos. You can find them on our website, whosamerican.com. And uh, there's some processes involved for them to get to the final stage of, of expressing that through video. But they come to understand or try to understand what that means for them. And it's so diverse, even in a geographically kind of uh, conservative communities where I teach, the views are so varied. 
And I think that's probably true throughout the United States. And so we're interested in expanding that beyond my classroom. And that's what we've been doing for the last five years and adding more uh, color and voice and perspective to that narrative, the wide, the tapestry of stories that say, what does it mean to be an American today for our high school students? Yeah, they are very diverse. I've had a chance to look at them and I encourage anyone listening to click on to whoisamericantoday.com because um, they're so interesting, so compelling, so fun all over the board. And um, I'm curious, were there dominant themes that emerged? I mean, you've talked about immigration, so that was a big one. What other dominant themes emerged for you in so let me just give you some, some high-level view. So we started the project in 2018. And at the time, there was a very clear anti-immigrant sentiment in the country. So from 2018 to now, we have had five cohorts of students who participated in the research portion of the project. Anyone can go to the website and download the lesson plan and learn how to do that in their classroom. But in order to be part of the research that are Consent documents that need to be signed, parents need to be informed. That is another layer that some people just don't have the bandwidth to participate. But so five cohorts, 96 students, and the themes that we see really have to do with, in a way, the most basic imagery that you can associate with national identity. The flag, they talk about the Pledge of Allegiance, they talk military images, but then... That's probably the first layer. Then there are students who take that and develop a more personal interpretation based on their lives and their experiences. And those, I think, are the stories that really are captivating because we get this insight into what high school students are facing. Another thing that you see is just as our country is growing increasingly divided, so are the positions that the students express through the project, you know, some people will repeat that the U.S. is the land of the free and opportunity and everybody has a chance. Others will have a much more nuanced understanding of the limitations of those views. I'm wondering if doing this project created opportunities for dialogue and maybe better listening to, to bridge those divides. And the potential's there. And, and one of the things initially that we did, uh, that I did in my classroom, is that they had uh, discussions in class as they watched each other's perspective, but also online through the YouTube channel that we created initially prior to having our website. Um, and, and, you know, what's interesting is uh, some students maybe shifted a little bit, but some were more entrenched, right? I mean, it, it kind of echoes what's going on uh, outside the classroom is that People dig in, and uh, but I, I'm optimistic that over time, that maybe uh, they will get a wider perspective and at least be respectful of other people's perspectives, in regardless of what they, uh, what value they place in those different views. When I was little, I brought my American Girl doll to a family gathering. The doll was Josefina, a girl born in 1850, New Mexico. When a family member saw it, they said something along the lines of, "That's an American Girl doll." She doesn't look American. Their message was clear. She doesn't look white. But you don't have to be white to be American. And Josefina was American. She lived in America. She had an American president. She followed American laws. America is a very diverse country. 
that is something it may be known for, is many people of many different demographics living together in it. And on that front, none of us are the same. No two people have the same background. No two people have the same story. And that is what makes us American. The fact that we are all unique and have the ability to be so is what makes us American. Anyone who lives here and works here is American. Anyone who came here looking for freedom is American. To me, all of us are American. From a girl in 1815 New Mexico to the small-minded white person saying she's not. You mentioned that teachers can go and download the, the lesson plans and do the project. What are all of the different components of the project? Essentially, there is a a preparation component where you create a storyboard and a narrative that goes with your story. And then you use whatever software is free. Students find out very quickly. Working with digital tools is as complicated as making art. Surprise, surprise. Um, We really, tying in your question about dialogue, we really use the critique process, in process, and once the work is finished, as a way to foment a conversation about the different ways to answer that question that have been found. And when I observed James's pilot class, it was very clear that that in-process critique had a very important role in having students consider other ways to express themselves because they would see other solutions and all of a sudden wonder, huh, Maybe I can incorporate that or I can revise what I what I did. So I think dialogue takes many, many dimensions. One is conversation and we want that. But another one is just having the openness to consider a different approach. And I think the arts are a great tool because they are embodied. They are visual. You can see and you can really help students demonstrate the ways in which they change. You know, when I do critiques with high school students, the best projects in whatever medium usually are the ones in in, in which students say, I started out with this idea, but then I saw this other thing. And then I thought a little bit more. Then I talked to somebody else. And then in the end, I ended up with something that was still connected topically but visually had been a long journey from where they started. So the arts sort of embody, embed this dialogue and transformation that we are hoping for to happen with the students who participate. And and, um, one of the things I do with my students, because I I think it helps and not to take shortcuts, is I uh, will only give them enough information they need to know for the the next step. For example, initially they had to create a, a paragraph and uh, express that and write it. And then later on, they had to have that discussion with their parents or some in the family or friends and then come back. And then we discuss it. And then we gradually, I let them know, say, we're going to have this to be a video. And so we need to make this into a script. So I kind of incrementally provided them with a bigger picture as became apparent because students have a tendency, or maybe it's just a human nature, just to cut, take shortcuts, you know. And uh, one thing that Flavia and I kind of found that was really interesting, we had assumed, or at least I had assumed, that students were going to be, since they were their digital natives and had grown up with the media, they would be very good and adept and, and have that kind of technological prowess, which we ended up finding was not there. 
we found out that students were more uh, consumers of technology than really users of it to be able to express things. So that was something we had to build in. And if you go to our website now, we have three um, help uh, videos, to tutorials about audio and other things to help guide teachers or, or students to go through that process. So that was an additional layer of learning that this that you were able to achieve with students and 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 maybe a discovery too this idea that they are more consumers than participants and we really want to move them to be more participants I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's really about moving the needle especially if you were thinking about democratic dialogue and participation because yeah. you have this powerful tool at your disposal but if you only n- know how to consume it, how to receive the messages and not create them. For example, Latinx students would say, well, I'm having trouble finding people like me on this stock imagery that is available to use. So James being, you know, the master educator would pop the question, why don't you create the images yourself? (laughs) Um, So they realize that if they were going to speak about their lives, their identities, their experience, they would also have to move one step from here are the stock images, you know, just like women looking at women's magazines. Often those women there don't represent <laughs> the women who we are. So we need to, to is kind of become part of the conversation. Well, and that speaks to what happens that I've seen over the last 30 years is students kind of default to schoolish behavior. The shortcut, cutting and pasting something they found online. And so when they were appropriating images from online that really didn't reinforce their stories in a personal way, there were some that rendered their own imagery or or made an animation or included family photos and, and suddenly it had more of a personal voice, which is what the arts are about, right? They're really about connecting what you experience and having that reach out to others. Thinking about helping students engage with media in positive ways and to become creators, today's sponsor, NextGen News, helps you integrate kid-created media content and learning to all subject areas. NextGen News is proud to sponsor this Ed Curation podcast. Hi, my name is Michelle McGuire, and I'm a former fifth grade teacher and co-founder of NextGen News. I started NextGen News to address a gap in media literacy and current events education in the classroom. At NextGen News, we believe that students deserve their own news source, and that's why we create age-appropriate video newscasts to bring news to students presented by students. Alongside the newscast, we have a ready-made curriculum for teachers, grades 3 through 8, to promote critical thinking and real-world problem-solving. We are on a mission to foster a next generation of socially and civically minded individuals that contribute to their community and society. News for the next generation. Learn how to bring next gen news to your school by visiting edcuration.com and searching next gen, N-E-X-G-E-N, all one word. The project itself is super compelling, but you did it as a research project and you had a research question, something that you were really wanting to answer, which was um, how art education can prepare students to be agents of change. And I'm wondering how you gathered that data and what were your findings? 
Well, let me tell you a little bit about the methodology then. So we James and Flavia received a grant from the National Art Education Foundation that allowed them to have research assistants through the University of Cincinnati. And the assistants were able to closely analyze each student project for two things. First, the digital media tools that the student used, and second, the strategies the student used to structure their story. Strategies from the most common one, which is a narrated PowerPoint, to much more sophisticated ways to express one's story. And then we stumbled upon a very um, interesting article by one of the foremost multicultural educators, um, James Banks, who was reflecting about the status of the world and created a typology of citizenship types. So there are five different kinds of citizens that also can be thought about in a continuum. And then we look at the way the students are talking about their location as Americans in today's society, and we identify them with one of those five citizenship types. And not surprisingly, the majority of the students are what Banks calls uh, recognized citizens, which means they have birth certificates, so they can be in schools, they understand the laws of the country, a few are participatory, meaning they are beginning to understand how can they have their voice heard through various democratic processes, be that participating in school government or being involved in other groups outside school. And a few of them are even what James Banks calls transformational, meaning they are able to speak about their reality in a way that is compelling enough that makes you um, take their point of view into consideration. And again, speaking of the validity of doing that through the arts, you know, everybody talks about the relevance of the arts in promoting empathy, right? They give us a, a window into somebody else's experience. And then your findings. We found, as I said, that the majority of the students are in the beginning stages of their digital media skills. And that is in a way surprising, given how attached to their digital tools <laughs> students are. So that is a very concerning need for educators in all disciplines, but I think in art education in particular, because of the space and the opportunity we have to help students develop digital media skills so that they are not only buying the latest iPhone, but they know what to do with that. And they can use these tools to articulate their own lived experiences into the political sphere. That's one finding. The other finding is, is that the ways in which the students think about American society and their location in that really sort of echoes, and maybe that's not surprising, the ways in which we as Americans are divided and think about our locations in society as well. So I think, to me anyway, the, the role of education is not necessarily to solve that difference, but maybe it's to expose it, to reveal it, and so that by being more aware, but also being in the same room, <laughs> people can maybe find ways to bridge those gaps themselves. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's kind of crucial to have these conversations in our art classroom or any classroom. And uh, not only about the uh, difficult topics dealing with racism and other things that are going on in our country, but um, schools need to stop seeing technology as something they have to teach around, you know, this device that always is distracting and start harnessing it and teaching them how to use it responsibly as a digital citizen and, and being aware of the power that's there. And I think we just assume, or like I did, I think the educational system assumes that they're proficient. They know how to use technology in meaningful ways, but our research doesn't suggest that at all. So this became kind of a secondary outcome, I think, as you as you proceeded through the project was capitalizing on the on students' focus and preoccupation with their technology, but then turning that into um, a way of informing them about how to become message makers versus consumers. Did you see that shift start to happen, James, as the students made their way through the project? I I think it improved, um, especially, you know, just just give uh, one element. Audio was so terrible, some of the first videos. Uh, But, you know, that got better. And I think other elements became better. They were taking more of their images and being more authentic with their expressions by using their own voice and images. And so I I think that moved. There's still a long ways to go, to be honest. And I think the arts are a great way for that to happen. One piece of that, James, that really came across in the way you structure the activities and the way you mentor your students is that it is an awful lot of work. You know, I think technology sometimes is very deceptive it looks like you enter all these pictures on the one hand and you sprinkle some fairy dust and you end up with a great video. So mm-hmm. to edit a minute and a half of a compelling digital story is an awful lot of work, but it's also comparable to what it takes to create a great painting or a great piece of ceramics or a great piece of writing, right? You don't get to this wonderful creative outputs without a whole lot of refinement. And technology is great because it enables you to refine and refine and refine. You don't lose anything. You don't need to go for more paper. It's really this intensive, high-end skill development that has many, many possibilities that we can't even anticipate when we present the prompt to the students. That's the education we believe in. Well, and one thing we're also doing, in addition to helping the students to widen their understanding of technology and also the topics, we, we've had several exhibits of the students' work uh, in various places, uh, museums and other venues, so we can have people see what students are thinking about, uh, or, you know, what a high school student sees as an American today and, and widen their perspective. And we were very fortunate uh, early on. I wrote uh, JR, the artist that uh, I think everyone knows from TED Talks, and their team uh, printed out the large photos that were part of uh, our exhibit that we put on uh, of the students' faces staring out and seeing students' voices heard by adults and, and other people that don't know them. And then having the sea of faces staring out really makes it very personal and impactful for those that are going in and hearing these voices and starting to, I I think, shift the needle for those in the community to understand that our students are thinking deeply about these topics and it's important for educators to tackle them. 
Yeah, and actually, that that was a um, question that I had for you is where all the students have had the opportunity to show their projects and and for people to see them. I know they see them on the website, but, mm-hmm. but they, we 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 have been really committed to doing these exhibitions. The idea is to continue. I mean, we are we are so surprised that the project has so much relevance and so much traction. You know, and when we were part of the larger conversation about education at South by Southwest, it's clear that digital citizenship is a very important part of the reflection of educators today. Anyone listening to this, we're welcome. You're welcome to contact us. We'd love to exhibit the work everywhere and anywhere because it's really a powerful thing. We'd love to have people here and see these these faces and voices in, in their, their community. Yeah. So what does a, an exhibit entail? Because it's digital storytelling. So how uh-huh. is it exhibited? We are totally equipped. We have a collection of iPads and what we and we have frames for them and we have headsets. And what it involves is to select maybe a loop of a few of the digital stories. They loop around and people can very much like in a museum when they look at electronic media art, stand in front of a screen and see a few of the examples that have been a part of our our project. If we have space, usually we try to bring some of the JR printed portraits of the students because it's a very powerful thing to have these beautiful black and white photographs of teenagers in the gallery and just remind people who is making the art and to just probably give more of a sense of power and engagement to teenagers who in many ways are so disenfranchised in our society. There is a lot of literature about youth civic engagement and the need to really help young people to connect their everyday spheres with the political sphere because they feel decisions are being made for them and they are not a part of the decision-making process. And you'll exhibit anywhere in the country. Yeah, Yeah, we we can ship the stuff. What did this research project reveal about the role of of digital citizenship and where, what students need to learn and what support do they need around digital citizenship? We had a discussion in class with one, one, one cohort group that, you know, by being consumers, we sometimes are uh, being manipulated and directed by, by forces and people, whether it be products or, or messages politically, but you also have that same capacity to have your voice heard. I mean, uh, it's it's amazing to me. I have some friends that have 2.4 million followers in TikTok. I mean, that's a pretty powerful megaphone to express your views to the world. And so students, if they craft uh, their work, their words and, and the way they say it, have the capacity to influence and be heard and direct people's lives. And that's pretty powerful. And I think being a digital citizen is also being a peacemaker is in the sense that you have to, you have the tools to express your truth, your perspective. You hope to express it in a compelling way so that others can understand it. But the final goal is to find a common ground, right? I mean, the final goal is to find shared values so, so that we can live and share this earth together. And I think, in no other time that has become more obvious than now. How do you express yourself and how you listen to other people? That's the etiquette of being a human being. You can disagree, 
but you can disagree respectfully. I mean, that would be the goal. But the real goal is how do we find places of connection even within our differences? I think any time that we are able to create situations that elevate student voice, mm-hmm. it's a mm-hmm. win. And I don't think that etiquette is a bad word um, <laughs> at all. I think that this prevalence of public incivility and vulgarity is not taking our society in good into good places at all. And if we can model productive dialogue and positive messages mm-hmm. and um, the hearing of others' voices and points of view, anytime we can do that, it is contributing definitely to not only digital citizenship, but just citizenship in general, um, mm-hmm. which I think is really what attracted me to what you are doing together and your project. Do either of you have a favorite success story from a specific student or a, one of the years of the project? I think we have the same one. The initial phase, uh, a student of mine, a transgender student, Cameron, uh, was really reluctant uh, to even participate. And when they did, overwhelmingly in the last five years has been the most powerful message and not only what they had to say, but how they said it. Uh, Very, very powerful. At this time, they were having a hard time even coming to school some days. I'm not sure everything that was going on, but uh, it it was clear it was not easy. And so that just the very mere participation and doing such a wonderful job was really rewarding to see. You're told that cliches leave after high school, but then you're subjected to society's tiers of popularity. Everyone wants to be popular. Our government now consists of mostly people who have never been repressed, scared for their life. They don't know how it feels to be forgotten in healthcare not able to marry, get killed because of their race, billionaires, rich people who use their money for their advantage. They use their fame to get what they want. Diversity should be what America's actually about. It's just such a reminder that kids with limited experience can really tell very, very powerful, compelling, transformative stories. I can see potential for a project like this, not just in an art class, but probably in a civics or social study class, maybe even an English language arts class. So I'm sure that there are teachers who are listening and who are feeling inspired and wondering how to implement a similar project and what would be the steps and tools that they would need to do that. Well, if you just go to our website, we've made it so easy. Uh, There's a lesson plan there. There are tutorials and help. And we're also available to help navigate the site and the project. Uh, Just reach out to us. Our contact information is there. I also want to say about our website, and I think we sometimes forget to say it, is that it's a bilingual website. So all the resources are in Spanish as well. Actually, that is is a huge detail for a lot of educators, I'm sure. Yes. Um, and this is an ongoing project, right? Yeah. It is. We are in the process of looking for continued funding. We are hoping that teachers feel a little bit lighter, more stable, and can part- be partners in the, on the research end. We know that during COVID, many, many people resorted to our educational resources and developed lessons that either adapted or just write out, you know, applied what we put out. 
but they didn't send the videos back to us and we were not able to analyze the data. I know that that was an additional step. So I just want to say we... I have had research assistants who help with that and can provide the support when some a teacher wants to participate. If they reach out to us, we can sit down and have a planning session and really tailor that overall frame that's on the website to the context of their school and how many students they want to get involved. I can also work with teachers to help uh, adjust the pacing and how to do that. Because I, I know as a teacher, you're juggling various tasks and goals and deadlines. And, and there's, there's a lot of flexibility of how to implement this. Could this be something that, that a educator provides during, say, a summer camp or a summer school or an after-school club or an extracurricular opportunity? Oh, I, I think in some ways it might be ideal because it's a short, concise. Having that concentrated time might be ideal from start to finish. That would be great. Two of our cohorts are in that kind of setting. We have one in a summer program and one in an after-school media-intensive kind of program. Yeah. yeah, great. If you'd like to get involved in the Who is American Today research project, exhibit, or just view the student videos, you'll find all the necessary links and information in the episode notes, along with James's website, and contact information for both James and Flavia. And if you're inspired about digital storytelling and students using digital tools to learn and communicate, then you will definitely want to take advantage of the two-month free pilot from today's sponsor, NextGen News. Antonio, a fifth-grade student from Los Angeles, said, NextGen News makes learning fun because they present it in a way that's funny and important it prepares me for the future by telling me how things work in real life. And Elizabeth, a fourth grade teacher also from Los Angeles says, not only does NextGen News make it easy for me to keep my students informed about current events, but the ready-made curriculum provides many opportunities for students to collaborate and share their ideas with peers. Find NextGen, N-E-X-G-E-N, all one word, at edcuration.com. It's easily integrated across content areas to make learning engaging and fun and providing a way to introduce digital skills and media literacy. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, follow, share, rate, and review, and leave us a comment so we know how we're doing with our goal of reshaping learning on the Ed Curation Podcast. Podcast.